south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 327, covering the week of September 26th through September 30th, 2022. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Like our Gab page. Like our Facebook page. And like our YouTube page. We do have several social media accounts now. You can like all those things. Just go to our webpage. You'll find all that. The Facebook page not is not there right now. But just go for Abbeville Institute. At Abbeville Institute, you'll find the Facebook page. Just do a search for it. We are back on Facebook. Though we haven't, we're still trying to explore how we want to use social media. We were doing a lot of, with it before, and then, of course, ran into the problems with, with Facebook, and that created some issues. So uh, we do use the YouTube page a lot. We put a lot of material out there on YouTube. Uh, our lectures, our podcasts, I mean, our, our Abbeville U videos, that's a great resource, all free of charge. So go out and get those things. If you go to abbevilleinstitute.org, A-B-B-E, excuse me, V-I-L-L-E, if I can speak today, abbevilleinstitute.org, and you give us an email address, you'll get a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition. And of course, um, you know, get on that email list, and that email list is invaluable. It's how we keep in touch with you. It's how we let you know things are going on. It's how we let you know about forthcoming conferences or videos or articles and all the stuff we're doing. I will say this, we do have a new conference, a webinar coming up, October 14th, that's a Friday, it's going to be during the day. Uh, I think the times, I haven't nailed this down 100% yet, but it's going to be uh, between um, 10 and 3, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. on a Friday, October 14th. Now, we're doing it during the day uh, because we just need to do that because of speaker schedules and other things. But um, if you pay for it, I'll say this, if you pay for any of these webinars and you don't, you can't attend, I would always send out a link to get you back into that, right? So you can watch it again if you can't attend. So pay for the webinar if you want to get it, and then we'll send you a link so you can get it later uh, so you can always re-watch it, right, if you missed it. Or if you can only be there for a couple of hours of it, you can't be there the whole time. We're going to have multiple speakers. It's going to be on Robert E. Lee. Multiple speakers on Lee, October 14th, uh, 2022. It's a Friday from 10 Eastern to 3 Eastern is going to be the general time period. Okay, we'll have a break in the middle. We'll probably go a couple of sessions, then we'll have we'll have a break for for a midday meal, and then come back for a couple of more sessions. So it's going to be good. It's going to feature yours truly, along with uh, Sandy Mitchum and uh, Kent Masterson Brown uh, so far, and then uh, I'm working on some other things as well. So it should be good. Uh, you're going to want to get it, but it's on Robert E. Lee fantastic. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic event. So uh, make plans for that. I will be sending out that information in an email. So you're going to get that. An email will also put it on the website this time so people can come on in and uh, and sign up for this event through the website as well. But also download our free mobile app. Get that. Uh, it's a great thing to have free of charge. Just go to your app store, download Abbeville Institute. You get the podcast on the go, the lectures if they're in audio format. So you get all that. Uh, it's a great thing to have. Um, get our logo and all kinds of cool stuff. If you go to abbyvalinstitute.org and you click on that that shop tab, you get uh, high-quality embroidered material. But as always, all of these things that we do, and we're coming into the end of the year, and I'm going to start making a real push for you if you want to support what we're doing to make a financial contribution. All of this stuff is not free of charge. We pay a lot of money for a lot of these things, and we need your help, right? I mean, this is this is imperative. I know that times are tough. I know things are tight. 
I know a lot of people are struggling, but we really do need your help to keep these things going. You know, even 10 bucks, you know, 20 bucks. Uh, so go to abbeyvillinstitute.org, click on that donate button and donate to the Institute. It is tax deductible to the full extent of the law. So if you want to give more, right, you, you get a receipt from it. You give a lot more, you get a receipt over a certain amount. So um, that'll help. And uh, you can use that on your taxes, pay less taxes, right, by donating to the Institute. It's a good thing. Um, and we do appreciate all that support. It does keep some things going. We are working on several projects still. We've got the 1607 project we're working on. We're going to announce that very shortly. We're going to have our own web page for that. There's going to be some really cool stuff with that. We've got that. We're working behind the scenes to get that published and out. There's going to be a book on that. It's going to be really good, and you're going to want to get it. It'll be on the website, most of the articles, but also uh, it's going to be in book format too. We're going to have videos produced out of this. It's going to be really fun and fantastic, a way to counter the modern narrative from the neoconservatives, the Straussians, and also the leftists about the real meaning of 1619. What is the real America? Was America built on slavery? Was it built on something else? Was it built on an idea? What are all these things, right? What does all this mean? We're going to do that. So it's going to be a fantastic counterweight to the mainstream narrative of what America history, American history is, and we're really looking forward to doing that. So we've got a lot of cool stuff, of course, the website the and, and this podcast. All those things cost money to do. So um, let's talk about the, the material we have for this week. And it featured um, some really good stuff, right? Uh, last week we had uh, a discussion on uh, the Southern constitutional tradition, tradition that I talked about. It was my lecture from the summer school. Uh, but we had another lecture from the summer school this week, Big Bang Blues by Tom Daniel. Now, Tom Daniel is a real treasure for the Institute. He's He is our resident music scholar. We've had some other people that do music too, Alan Harrelson and others, but um, you know uh, Tom Sheely. Um, we've had some people that are really good at music, but Tom, his job is teaching music. And this particular lecture is about how to understand blues. Now, blues music is so important for um, for understanding of American music, blues, country. That that fusion is going to make you know, rock and roll rhythm and blues. You know, uh, Ray Charles loved country music. He loved it, right? I mean, he, here's here's a guy that loved country music. You wouldn't think that uh, because we have these you know these we put people in pigeonholes, right? Well, this person can't like country music because they look like this. Well, Ray Charles loved country music. In fact, he did a country album. I mean, so uh, blues and country, rhythm and blues have a lot in common. And there's a certain format to blues that works. And uh, I actually, somebody actually commented on this article, on this video, I should say, on YouTube. You go out in the comment on the YouTube videos. You know, for the podcast, when you get it, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave it that five-star review on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Leave a text review as well and comment on the YouTube videos because that pushes them up in the algorithm, right? Gets more people seeing them. We've got YouTube videos with hundreds of thousands of views because people comment on them. Now, a lot of times it's lefties commenting on them because they don't like what we're saying. So get out there and counter those comments. If you want to have a good time arguing with lefties, you can do that. Or neoconservatives or Straussians, whoever comments on them. But um, regardless... um, there's a comment on it about how this was such an interesting video because nobody ever explained music this way before. And then when he gave this talk uh, in, in July, and I listened to it, um, I did think that it could, some people could, could miss this. And there was a couple of people that came up to me and said, I didn't really understand much of what he said there. Uh, he gets into some music, f- structure of music, and how this works, and how 
um, you know, even using songs like the Happy Birthday Song um, is based on a certain structure of a song, and it's how we remember these things. Uh, it's the AAB, he calls it, you know, format. And so blues music follows that, but it has its own unique way of doing it, which is amazing. And it's why people really gravitate towards it. It's very simplistic, but it's so good. And it's why so many people love blues music, or at least blues-based music. And it doesn't matter about, you know, race or it's, it's Southern. This is a purely Southern creation, which is, I mean, it's why we want to do music. As he says in another lecture, and we'll put that open eventually too, he said, look, if there's anything the South has won in any, in any area in American history and American culture, it's music. They win it. They've got it hands down. There's nobody else that can claim that uh, the South has not won in this particular part of American society. The South has got it all. Now, there, I mean, he brings up things like polka. You know, <laughs> what about polka? Right? It's not a. Uh, but there's very few things, very few musical genres that have not that were not created in the South by Southerners of all races. Right. So this is it's a really fun thing to do because it pokes holes in this narrative that Southerners you know, didn't really like other people. What you can honestly say in American history, the people that really have been disdainful and, and really don't like people are Northerners. It's true, right? I mean, think about, you know, uh, we'll just look at some historical examples. David Wilmot of Pennsylvania, who wrote the Wilmot Proviso, is often pointed to, here is the, here is the indication Northerners were great people because they opposed slavery. You know why David Wilmot of Pennsylvania opposed slavery? Because he didn't want to be around black people. You know who was around a lot of black people? Southerners. I mean, this is the funniest thing about it, right? The areas of the United States that had the fewest black people worried about things like miscegenation. They worried about influence of blacks in their society. And in many cases, you're talking about, you know, if you had 100 people and you're in New England, you might have one black person. Um, and so, you know, of course, it's, they're not worried about power or anything, but when it's threatening them, like in Boston in the 1970s, when you got to desegregate the schools, well, then you're going to go out and beat people up with a U.S. flag. A black guy, if you're a, a northern you know, a Bostonian, a white Bostonian, you're going to beat up a black guy with a U.S. flag because, my gosh, he dares to push for integrated schools. So this is the thing that you know we, we get to where the hypocrisy of and unaccountability is also the real key to this. The hypocrisy and unaccountability of of Northerners and all these things. It's just amazing and how they distort history all the time. Now, this isn't always work for Northerners. In fact, we had a lot of music this week in the in this uh, in this week's theme. And four of the pieces had some type of a musical uh, touch to them. Uh, the first piece of the week, The Stranger in Gray by David Crom. It's so good. This is a really interesting piece. Somehow, in Maine... A Confederate soldier was buried, and nobody knew who the guy was. He, here's a soldier shows up to be buried, and it's a Confederate soldier. There was a mistake, it's thought. Mistake, and this Confederate soldier made it to Maine. And so what did the people of Maine do? Well, they honored him. They buried him in a cemetery in Maine. They didn't know who it was, so they put stranger on, the, on this headstone. And uh, they put a flag out, and they put flowers out. They honor this Confederate soldier in Maine. Now, of course, uh, Joshua Chamberlain came from Maine. And uh, Chamberlain was one of those honorable men that ever fought for the Union. I mean, this guy was really honorable. He respected the South. He respected Southerners. 
He looked at them as uh, he looked at them, you know, with, as honorable people fighting a war that they thought was right. He was an abolitionist, of course, and wanted to end slavery. And uh, but he always respected Southerners, and he showed them proper uh, veneration when they when he thought they deserved it. He thought they fought hard, and they this is he was a real reconciliationist in that way. And so Mainers, you know, Mainers don't really like Massachusetts either. <laughs> um, they just don't. I mean, Massachusetts is a horrible place to them. They're different from people from Massachusetts. They're different people from Connecticut. Uh, they are a different type of, of New Englanders. And so there's this little song. It was written, uh, it, it, let, me, let me look at the piece here, a song written by a group called the Squid Jiggers. <laughs> Squid Jiggers. Funny. And they wrote this piece entitled The Stranger. And it's a beautiful song. Um, it's, it's so good. Uh, it just gets into this really nice, uh, you know, talking about how this person showed up. And, um, and, and here's this guy that it says, when the casket with the soldier's body arrived, it was open. And there was the body of a stranger in Confederate uniform. An attempt was made to correct the mistake, but communications were slow, and after waiting several days without receiving any word, the stranger was buried on a vacant lot. So here we have, according to the townspeople, every effort was made to return the unknown soldier to the Confederate Army. However, Washington had no inclination to assist in sending this unknown Confederate soldier back home. Not able to wait much longer, the women of Gray decided to bury the unknown soldier in Gray Village Cemetery. Collie's mother reportedly said the grave has already been prepared and somewhere there is a mother just as I who has lost her son. Use the grave already prepared for my son and in God's grace she may do the same for me. The women raised enough money to purchase a headstone for the Confederate soldier which reads, Stranger, a soldier of the late war, died 1862, erected by the ladies of Gray. Today, if one will visit the grave, the Confederate flag remains. This unknown soldier is one of seven known Confederate soldiers buried in Maine. As the years have continued, the care for this grave has been passed from the women of Gray to the Grand Army of the Republic, Sons of Union Veterans, and now the late Ladies Relief Corps Auxiliary. It remains one of the few locations in Maine where you can find a Confederate flag on public land. So here we have this touching story of reconciliation. And look, the women of the South did the exact same thing. They decorated Union soldiers' graves. They did it because, again, same thing. Somewhere some mother is mourning the loss of her son, and we're going to make sure that that person is honored. I may not like what they were fighting for. I may not like that they shot at my family, but we're going to honor them. That spirit, I mean, these were all Americans. We don't have that spirit anymore. It's gone. right? It's gone. That's completely gone. So uh, I like this because it has that reconciliationist element to it that people like David Blight and others think is horrible. Horrible to have this. You can't have that kind of stuff. We can't have reconciliation. That's horrible. You can't do those things. These people are evil. Traitors, slave owners, whatever it is. And the same kind of spirit goes in with Sam Irvin. Now, uh, Tuesday was Sam Irvin's birthday. If you don't know who Sam Irvin is, he's Senator Sam from North Carolina. Uh, he was always, well, I'll say this. By the 1970s, the left loved Sam Irvin. And they loved Sam Irvin because he was critical of Richard Nixon and because he was because of Nixon's abuse of executive power. So Sam Irvin became a darling of the left. But what they'd never been able to do is reconcile how they could love Sam Irvin when at the same time Sam Irvin was a firm opponent of civil rights legislation. Sam Irvin didn't want it. He thought it was all unconstitutional. If you read his autobiography, uh, 
which is very good. He talks about why he opposed it. He didn't really mention race in there at all. He talks about the Constitution. And to him, the Constitution was being abused by the central government, and that determined that he should oppose civil rights legislation. There's an interview with Sam Irvin, I think from uh, you know, 19, uh, 1954, right? 1954, he's, he's been in, in office a very short period of time. And uh, he was appointed in 1954. And um, he's there for a very short period of time. And they have him on this television program. And they, they talk to him about, you know, Brown v. Board of Education. And, of course, Irvin uses some pretty rough language in that because it's the 50s. And people said things then, then that they won't say now. But he takes, a very, he's, he takes a very states' rights position on this and U.S. Constitution position, constitutional position on it, which... You would all you, people ignore nowadays when we talk about you know, civil rights. Was the Brown decision a, a decision that was based on the Constitution or based on something else? And generally, it's based on something else. It wasn't really based on the Constitution. It was based on what the people on the, the bench at the time thought was right. This is what they wanted to do. So, anyways, Irvin is often you know how can this guy that loves civil liberties so much have done this with civil rights? Well, because he saw them as the same thing. But Irvin was disarming. And it was disarming in that, I mean, he, people loved to talk to him. They loved his accent. They loved what he had to say. Uh, they loved how he said things, told funny stories. You couldn't, you, couldn't be, um, you couldn't be mad at the guy about that, right? You couldn't be mad at a guy that, that told these fun homespun stories. And he produced an album, and I said there's a musical element to this. He produced an album uh, Senator Sam at home, where he, he kind of sang. Uh, for example, there was a, the song A Bridge Over Troubled Water, which he sang on the album, more or less reciting the lyrics while the music's playing in the background. But uh, we put a couple of clips. One is an interview with Sam Irvin from uh, August of 1973. And then the other, of course, is Senator Sam at home. There's a clip from that. We've had that on our YouTube channel for you know, almost a decade now. If you haven't watched it, it's just a little one-minute clip. Each one of these is only about a minute long. Um, but, you know, Urban is a dinosaur. He was a real reconciliationist person. He was Here's a guy from the South that Northerners loved, leftists loved, conservatives loved. He was a real reconciliationist. Sam Irvin is a dinosaur. Even in 1973, he was a dinosaur in a lot of ways. As I say in the piece, I wrote this little piece. But um, he's a dinosaur now. Because we can't have this kind of person in Congress. It's, they're extinct. They're extinct. Um, he, he's gone. And that's a real shame for the United States. Someone that could... And this is... Look, Joe Biden... I'll say this. Joe Biden, at one point... Uh, as I said in the piece, fondly remembered his interaction with, with uh, Southern Democrats... Joe Biden was seen as kind of one of these old Southern Democrats. Somebody asked on a, on a uh, I think on the YouTube or somewhere, but, you know, where are the blue dog Democrats? They're gone, right? This is Jim Webb. They're gone. They've had to become, quote unquote, Republicans because the Democrat Party moved so far away from them. But these old conservative Democrats, that's what Biden was viewed as in some ways uh, when he was in the Senate. He's kind of conservative. You know, he does conservative things at times. Um, but you know he votes for the left at other times. He's kind of in the middle here. You know where is Joe Biden? Uh, now Joe Biden doesn't really know where he is. I mean, you ask that question, where is Joe Biden? He's lost on stage. So, uh, but when you when you look at you know, this 
these kind of old Democrats. So it was the South, right? The, and, and look, lefties struggle with the South in this period of time because they love that the South is in favor of the New Deal. They love the South is in favor of, you know, the butter part of um, of the of the expansion of social welfare programs. They love the South is in favor of, you know, limiting uh, the corporate America and corporate greed and Wall Street and going after big banks. And they love all that. And then they can't figure out, well, but these people were so bad on civil rights. So they just can't figure it out, right? The South is still an oddity to them, how these people could do these things. Well, it goes back to Jefferson. It goes back to the Jeffersonian political tradition. And I have said on this show and on this podcast and in other places that the reason I think Southerners are so willing to use a general government against New England and against the Northeast and against New York and against all of this is because they saw them as foisting this unconstitutional government anyways. And so they were just going to use the apparatus given to them to go out and regulate the heck out of these big banks and big industry. So that's the, that's the issue, right? I mean, this, this is what they were going to do. Uh, they were going to use the apparatus given to them against them because it had been foisted on them to begin with. So um, I really like uh, you know Sam Irvin. I wrote about Sam Irvin in the book Forgotten Conservatives in American History with Clyde Wilson. And of course, again, September 27th was Sam Irvin's birthday. So um, just a, a, a great story, you know, a great American story of, of a statesman uh, and really one of the most important political figures of the 20th century. And then if you keep the, the music theme going, even the last piece of the week, the title is, that's like Phil Harris said, that's what I like about the South. Great piece. Um, and of course, the Carl Bruner uh, version of this I like better. Phil Harris made it popular. Phil Harris, of course, the, uh, the comedian, uh, you know, movie actor. The, uh, the, I'm sorry, not, Cl- not Carl, Cliff Bruner, Cliff Bruner, who was uh, from Texas. He had a very good version of That's What I Like About the South. But Phil Harris made it, made it very popular. And this kind of, you know, well, the South is great. We got all these great things in the South. It's reconciliationist. Again, I, I did a whole talk on this at the summer school a few years back on how music was reconciliationist and how many Northerners love the South and they portrayed that through the music. We've lost all that again. All that is going away. And but you know, Phil, uh, Paul Yarbrough is talking about something else in this piece. But he's saying, look, I mean, again, Southern politics. What we've lost in America, and it goes back to Sam Irvin in a lot of ways. What we've lost in America, it's a real conservative party. We've lost, uh, we've lost the Sam Irvins. We've lost these old statesmen from the 19, 19th century, twentieth century that uh, were interested in real American conservatism. And that's what Sam Irvin represented. And that's what, that's what Paul Yarborough is talking about in this piece. That uh, that part of American society, that, that the ability for conservative Southerners in particular, but all Americans, Americans who are conservative, who vote for you know, Democrats or Republicans, there's really no party for them anymore. It's gone. And th- this is what George Wallace was talking about. Uh, there's not a dime's worth of difference. I mean, this whole idea that you know, Donald Trump essentially had said some of the same kind of things at times. Pat Buchanan had said these things. This is why Buchanan was inter- willingly ran on the Reform Party because there really wasn't a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats. They're all just the war party. They're all just the big government party, whatever it is. And these, this, uh, this conservative side of America really has lost any kind of, of party representation. And that's what Yarborough is talking about. And that Jeffersonian tradition, this is things we talk about in this show, 
that Jefferson in this in the website too, the Jeffersonian tradition and what it means and is it even around anymore or how many people do believe in these things? It's all pretty much gone, um, which is why you should help us continue to exist and do what we do at the Institute because we're one of the only voices out there for this kind of stuff. I mean, we're it, really. You have a few other places that do stuff like this, Chronicles Magazine, sometimes American Conservative. Um, but from a Southern position, just promoting beautiful things about the South, mixed in with the political philosophy and other things, economics, this is where you get it. There's lots of people that talk about Southern culture, music, art, literature, food, these kind of things. But and we do all that too, but we also have the political element to it, uh, political philosophy and constitution. Uh, of course, not taking any sides on anything. We just talk about where it is, right? So, um, but where all that tradition comes from, Calhoun and Jefferson and John Taylor of Carolina and John Randolph of Roanoke and uh, you know, Sam Irvin. Uh, these are the kind of things we do that are different from other uh, organizations that are interested in the South. We do the war too, which we talked about, you know, again, our first piece of this week was the war. That's not the South. The South is 400 years, and it's why we had the piece with Tom Daniel on music. It's why we do that kind of stuff. It's why we have pieces on literature. It's why we do have pieces on, uh, you know, early American history and Southerners and how important that is for understanding what the Southern tradition is and what it means for America. And it's why we're doing the 1607 project going back 400 plus years when looking at the Southern tradition. Now, the last piece of the week, and I'll just mention it here briefly, it's a piece by Al Benson, what the transcendentalists sought to do to the South. Um, and this is important because... What you get is the, as, as Clyde Wilson calls it, the Yankee problem of America. Uh, you get an imperialist type of northerner that really develops in the 19th century. If you go back to the early 20th century and you start looking at what was happening in America with, say, Jefferson, this is a northern studies piece. I mean, you look at what's happening with Jefferson and you look at the Louisiana Purchase and you look at the, uh, the lead up to the Jefferson administration. Northerners understood that if they did not control the general government, they were a minority section. The South was going to control the future of the United States. And this is why, uh, you know, uh, Henry uh, Cabot uh, would write things like, look, if we don't make slavery an issue, uh, the South is going to overrun us because they're farmers and Westerners are farmers. If we don't try to come up with some way to, to put a wedge between the West and the South, we're doomed. The only way they could figure out to do it was slavery. And why would they want to do that? Because they were interested in their own sectional power. And then you move forward in time 50 years from that, and you look at people like Charles Sumner of Massachusetts. And Sumner was very open about the fact that he wanted to make America New England. He wanted America to be based on New England because he thought New England was the best and that the South is a drag on everything that's real America and all this stuff. So he wanted to make America New England. That's important to understand, Right? Because this kind of imperialism, cultural, political, economic, that's essentially what Reconstruction was. And as Benson points out, he says, Historian Francis Butler Simpkins, in his A History of the South, noted many of the problems between churches that surfaced after the War of Northern Aggression was over and that, was over and that shameful pro program called Reconstruction had begun. The various Southern denominations ended up having many of the same problems that were evident in the political realm. So what the North is doing is not just remaking the South politically, but also culturally, and they're going into the churches. And this is something that Secretary of War Stanton was certainly willing to do, 
and you in placing northern theologians on southern pulpits right you you get a northern minister to go minister to the south because they're going to say different things than southerners and church controlled the lives of people how they thought about things how they conducted themselves in polite society and polite company and how they oftentimes how they voted all these things matter with church we don't think about that as much as we used to but this is a really important part of life for 19th century Americans early 20th century Americans As he says later on, and now these teacher missionaries came south of the idea of teaching these ignorant southern folks who see the real light as displayed by transcendentalist doctrine in public school education. Simpkins, along with many others, has told us that the government school system, a real fruit of northern apostasy, was brought south as part of the Yankee Reconstruction Program and that it stayed on. Apostasy, I'm sorry, excuse me. So it stayed on, right? This, this, this idea of... We're going we're gonna to transform the South through education. There was a piece we ran years ago that I, I wrote on a guy named Cussens. And Southerners were aware of what was going on in the 19th century. This is why they started pushing back on the history being taught about the war and the South and everything else, because they could see it. So they started writing, no, this is the real history of the, the, of the place and the people. This is it. It's not what you're telling people. This is what it's truly about. And so you had that, right? I mean, you had this pushback through... Education, because education in their mind was being distorted, and that was a real problem. So, look, that had no musical element to it. Though you could say that you know some of the hymns, right? Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is a lot of Southerners would sing. You would you wouldn't have caught a Southerner singing that in the 1860s if you wanted to. Right? So just that 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 song is now sung frequently in Southern churches shows you how far things have gone in another direction in the South compared to what they were in the 1860s. It's amazing when you think about it and how things have gone in that direction. So all of these things work together, right? I mean, and, and if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy the Institute, you enjoy the articles we put out there and the things we do and the conferences we do, and there will be, you'll get a link to sign up for this new, uh, this new webinar shortly. That's going out in the next couple of days, so you can sign up for it and, and get on with it October 14th. It's going to be so good. If you enjoy all that stuff, please consider a tax donation to the Institute. We need your financial support. There's a lot of other organizations out there with a lot more resources than we have and a lot more money than we have to do some things. We really need your support to continue to do these things on a regular basis. All right. Until next time, good day.